Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Wow, a lot has happened since we last talked. So much has gone down in Major League Baseball. The insanity that was free agency in November. The owners have officially locked out the players. And your Cleveland Guardians have done absolutely nothing. So let's get into it. Let's talk all of it. And uh, there's so much to cover here. We've also got emails in the inbox from Phil and Chris, and we will get to those emails in a little bit. But first off, it's not completely fair of me to say that the Guardians have done nothing. They did make two signings during this free agency period. They brought back veteran catcher Sandy Leone, and they went out and got a young pitcher, uh, Eniel De Los Santos, who's pitched for the Phillies. He's pitched for the Pirates. He's actually bounced around to a ton of organizations um, and is currently pitching in the Dominican Winter League on the same team that JC Mejia is pitching on. So we will talk about those guys. So yes, it's not nothing, but it's basically nothing because the impact that those two will have on this Guardians team. Those were not the moves we were looking at. So the big storylines, the huge storylines, is the amount of money spent in free agency and then and then the fact that the uh you know the owners locked out the players. They couldn't get anything done. And we are going to be stuck in this lockout for a long time now. And this lockout has a lot of ripples a lot of uh unintended consequences for you know a lot of the players out there besides just you know having free agency and trades and transactions come to a screeching halt it means guys like Josh Naylor who were rehabbing from injury can't use team facilities anymore it means our hitting coach Chris Valeka who is getting to know our young players who is already working with guys like Mercado can't work with them anymore. Now, he can work with minor league players. From, from what I'm understanding about this lockout, uh, it's not affecting the minor leagues. It's only affecting the major leagues. So they might still have a uh, minor league Rule 5 draft where I, I, don't, I, I can't even tell you the exact specifications for that. There's a minor league section to the Rule 5 draft. But the Rule 5 draft for major league players is off and may not even happen this year. So all those you know, players that we were worried about losing, Joey Cantillo and guys like that, might actually be safe. Uh, there may not, that may not happen. Um, I think Oscar Gonzalez, the minor league outfielder, right? Uh, he was another one who was, could have been snatched up. Uh, but yeah, guys like Josh Naylor, I mean, are now on their own to do their own rehab. And, uh, I think Zach Meisel, I think in his article, in his latest athletic article was joking about it, but they literally might have to communicate back to the team via social media. So if you see, I mean, he was joking, but if seriously, if you see posts from players that are like, you know, started, you know, sprinting in a straight line or something like that. Uh, increased reps in the batting cages. It might not be for you. It might be to the coaches because it's the only line of communication right now. Um, so things like that are really going to have an effect going into the season. Now, 
The good news is, is and I'm, I'm sure this was done on purpose, the contract expired on December 1st, right? Which means they have the entire month of December, the entire month of January uh, to figure this thing out. You know, if they figure this thing out by the time the Super Bowl rolls around, they can easily go right into spring training and be back to start the season when it was scheduled. So they've got a little over two months to slander each other in the media, to hammer away at this contract, to, I mean, do you care? As a fan, do you really care who wins this lockout? Who wins this between the players and the owners? They're they're talking about splitting up billions of dollars. It's billionaires arguing over billions. Like, do you really care who wins this thing? And no matter what system they put in place, and you're going to hear a lot of things about, you know, systems where guys don't become free agents until they're 29 and a half years old. Uh, So the teams have a little more control over those young superstars, but less control maybe over a guy uh, who takes a little longer to come up through the system. A college player, you know, would get to free agency maybe a little faster. Uh, So that's something that's being tossed around. Frankly, it seems like no matter what system gets put in place, look at the NBA where they put that free agency system in place where uh, the Supermax deals, where your home team, the team that drafted you, can offer you a bigger contract than anybody else in the league. It was supposed to keep superstars in their cities. It didn't work. Guys are going all over the place. Now they're just demanding trades instead. So, I mean, it's really hard to come up with a system that keeps a superstar in their city, the team that drafted them. I mean, that's what the fans want. Do you think the fans in Washington want to see Juan Soto leave for another team? Do you think the fans in San Diego, uh, you know, want to see Tatis Jr. leave for another team? The fans in Toronto want to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leave for another team? And the fans in Cleveland, do you think we want to see Jose Ramirez leave for another team? I mean, look at the, uh, you know, look at the anger from the fans when we lost Lindor. So, yeah, I, I think a system that tries to keep superstar players in their city a little bit longer would be a good thing for baseball. But it just doesn't seem to work no matter no matter where you you know, see it implicated. Uh, the NFL has their own systems with the uh, first round picks, you know, get that extra year of team control and things like that. So we'll see what they come up with. You know, there's revenue sharing things. There's the free agency things. Um, they're in the arbitration system might get revamped. Uh, frankly, you know, part of me is thinking like young guys have gotten paid before. Like, I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. got paid, and there's no reason that Toronto can't come up with a similar deal for uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But, you know, up until this point, it had been the agents and the and the general managers, you know, hammering those things out together, saying, if you don't want to deal with me in arbitration, you better give my player a long-term contract right now. And so the free market has created some... Some contracts like that that have kept star players in their cities. Other guys like Lindor get too close to free agency. They start smelling that sweet, sweet free agency money, and you're never going to get a contract done with them. So 
we'll see what system comes out of this. Frankly, I, I don't care as long as they work it out before spring training comes around. I really don't care how they share their billions and billions of dollars. We'll see, we'll see what effect it has on the Guardians. Because obviously we're a very young team. So some system put in place that keeps players on teams longer would be great for the Guardians. But they're probably going to have to spend. There's going to be a salary floor. There's going to be adjustments to the luxury tax, which is basically a salary cap. So will that salary floor affect the Guardians? Like, will that trigger some long-term contracts? And that's a question that's coming up from our email mailbag. Um, So we'll see what it happens. But the thing about it is, right now, the owners just went and spent more money than it's ever been spent in free agency. And some of these contracts are absolutely crazy. Absolutely insanity. Um, I think the first big move, I'm scrolling back through the list here on ESPN. I think the first big move was Eduardo Rodriguez, the pitcher, signing with the uh, Tigers. That was like the first big five years, $77 million. Then Barrio signs his extension in Toronto. Syndergaard signs his one-year deal with the Angels. Uh, Brandon Belt and Verlander stay in place. Uh, where's the next giant one? Oh, uh, Wander Franco gets his long-term contract. See, here's the perfect example of it. Wander Franco, 20 years old, just signed a 12-year contract with the Tampa Bay Rays. Guarantees him around 185 mil. 185 million where the deal can max out at 223 million. There you go. A young guy got paid in the current system. Um, Starling Marte goes to the Mets. Eduardo Escobar uh, from uh, Milwaukee goes to the Mets. This was the start of the Mets. Huge splurge into free agency. Um, Adam Frazier got traded to the Mariners. That one was interesting. Uh, Corey Kluber signs his one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Rays. Byron Buxton gets his incentive-laced contract, uh, incentive-laden contract with the Minnesota Twins. Um, things where, like, if he's in the MVP final, you know, final voting, he gets these huge bonuses. So that's a really interesting co- contract right there. The Buxton one and the Barrios one are absolute comps that the Guardians could use looking to build a deal for Jose Ramirez and for Shane Bieber. Absolutely. Especially this Buxton one. I mean, Jose Ramirez would be rolling in the money if he were to sign a deal like Buxton where he would get, if he lands in the MVP voting, he gets a huge bonus. I mean, we're talking million, a couple million dollar bonus, five, six million dollar bonus added onto his salary if he's in that MVP conversation. Uh, Jose Ramirez's agent should be all over that because Jose Ramirez is perennially up there as an MVP candidate. Uh, Gossman inks his deal with the Blue Jays. Uh, Marcus Simeon and John Gray go to the Rangers. Uh, Robbie Ray signs with the Seattle Mariners. They go after some pitching. Then Scherzer signs the huge deal with the Mets. And uh, Corey Seager signs the huge deal with the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers spent so much money in like a one-day, two-day period. So November 29th was really, I think, the biggest day. I think the most money handed out on that day. And then it kept going. You thought it was done, but then it kept going. Um, 
the uh, Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez and Clint Frazier all signed within a couple hours of each other, which were deals that the Guardians fans should have been paying attention to. Like, the catching market is very thin. Very thin. And the Guardians need a second catcher. It can't all be Austin Hedges. Sandy Leone is a good, you know, veteran in case of emergency, but I really don't see him platooning with Hedges. That's not a great combo. So Gomes and Roberto Perez were seriously up there. Perez got $5 million. One year, $5 million. That might have been more than the Guardians were willing to spend on him, considering he can't stay healthy. Jan Gomes got a little bit of bigger deal. Two years, $13 million. Clint Frazier got a really small contract, one-year contract from them, from the Cubs. So guys that were definitely on the Guardians' radar go off the board right there. And then Javi Baez signs with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, there's more. I mean, there's more huge deals here. Uh, Chris Taylor, Marcus Stroman signs with the Cubs. Uh, the thing about all these deals, all of them, I really don't see how many of them affect the Guardians. Many of them were not in the American League Central. Uh, yes, the Tigers have been aggressive in uh, in free agency. They did go out and get a pitcher. They did go out and get their shortstop, right? But we have seen Javi Baez struggle. We have, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez is might is not an ace yet. He's had his struggles. I just don't see some of these teams, the Mets. Uh, you know, they do have Scherzer. They they do have two, they have two of the top Cy Young pitchers in all of baseball, and Degrom and Scherzer. But who's pitching days three, four, and five? Like I just am not sure some of these teams have enough pitching. The Guardians' advantage is they still have the starting pitching. They still have about seven starters deep in that rotation that can go out there and give you, I mean, really good to great starting pitching. So as much money is being spent right now on some of these hitters, the Texas Rangers, uh, you know, as much money as they're spending, who's pitching for them? Where's the pitching coming from? We've seen teams load up on offense before. I mean, the Yankees loaded up at the trade deadline. Rizzo, right? Uh, they went out. I'm, I'm throwing out a hundred names right now, so names are just escaping my brain. They get the big hitter from Texas, um, and you know what does it get them? It gets them nowhere because they didn't have the pitching. So we'll see if all of these deals the Mets have done, all of this insanity coming from the New York Mets leads to anything? Or do they not have the pitching to get past Atlanta again? And it's the same thing with the Tigers. The Tigers can spend and spend and spend, but until those young pitchers, and they're getting close, their young pitchers did do better last year, but until those young pitchers really develop and really turn into aces, I'm not sure the Tigers are going to climb back to the top of this division. Now, there were some moves in here, like Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes going off the board, Clint Frazier going off the board. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays ended up in a situation where they had to make a trade. And Joey Wendell was someone that I thought would be a really interesting get for the Guardians. The other one they were talking about was Kevin Kiermeyer. And I thought both of them actually would have been really good fits in Cleveland. 
it actually made a would have made a lot of sense. Um, and Miami ends up trading like their 21st prospect to get Joey Wendell from the Tampa Bay Rays. I think that's something the Guardians could have swung. I think there's guys down in the 20s that they could have parted with uh, to go out and get a Joey Wendell or get a Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, you know, that would have made an incredibly, insanely fast, strong defensive outfield. And Kiermaier can hit. So, uh, you know, there's still moves out there for the Guardians to make. They weren't going to get any of these huge, huge free agents. Like, they weren't in the shortstop market. They've got plenty of middle infielders. It's the outfielders going off the board, the board that hurt a little bit. Now, looking at who's left, they obviously, and this gets into, uh, I think, some of the questions from our emailers. Um, uh, Chris, uh, we'll start with Chris's email. Given how the Guardians front office and ownership typically operates, I wasn't too surprised at the team's lack of activity before the CBA expiration. While many free agents came off the board, what do you think are the top three places of need for this roster to be upgraded over the rest of the offseason once transactions resume? Chris, my answer is catcher, corner outfield, and bullpen. Those are the three spots that they have to shore up. Now, the catching market has gotten really thin. I mean, there's some really old guys here, names you might remember like Jeff Mathis, Wilson Ramos, they could bring back. Uh, Kurt Suzuki is 38 years old now. Austin Romine is still out there. The one interesting name out there is Yohel Pozo. He's 25 years old, and for some reason, the Texas Rangers had to part with him. He's only played in one major league season. He he's, he got his first experience in the majors in 2021. Uh, he's one of these guys that took a big jump during the 2020 season. He would have played double-A during 2020, so he plays triple-A in 2021 and gets called up to the Texas Rangers. To make room on the 40-man roster, they had to release him. And uh, he's now out there as a free agent, uh, you know, a 25-year-old free agent. And he was hitting. In AAA, he hit 337 with a 974 OPS. When he got called up to the majors, he was hitting 284, a 690 OPS. He wasn't slugging that much. Um, only a 378 slugging. But he was hitting 284. I mean, not bad for his first taste of the majors. Um, he had slugged 23 home runs in uh, AAA. So, yeah, this is a guy who, he's out there. He's 25 years old. He'd be the perfect fit for the Guardians. He would be the absolute perfect fit for the Guardians. So keep an eye on Yohel Pozo and see where he ends up. Uh, see, once this lifts, once this you know strike, this lockout lifts, let's see where he ends up. Other than that, the catching market is thin. And you're basically waiting on Lavastida or Naylor, the younger Naylor brother, to make it up to the majors. Um, the other position then, corner outfield. Uh, like I said, there's I mean, there's tons of names. There's always tons of names out there on the outfield market. Schwarber's still out there. Eddie Rosario is still out there. Andrew McCutcheon is out there. Uh, Jack Peterson is out there. So there are names. Those are the left fielders. Tim LaCastro, who's the incredibly speedy uh, outfielder, but oh, he gets hurt a lot. Um, in center fielder, you still have a very old Brett Gardner out there. Uh, you've got, ooh, none of these other names really interest me in center field. 
Uh, in right field, Castellanos is not coming to Cleveland. I mean, that would be insane. This guy's looking for mega, mega dollars. Uh, Michael Conforto is a name. And I know they were even talking about this on the Selby is Godcast. Uh, Michael Conforto is the perfect name for the Guardians to look at. He's 29 years old. The Mets, I mean, have been spending like crazy. They're probably not going to bring him back. He was coming off a down year, but this guy can hit. This guy can really hit. He would fit very nicely in the 5-6 spot in the Guardians lineup. And then uh, Jorge Soler is coming off his huge playoff run, you know, winning that World Series with Atlanta. Bring him back to the American League Central, maybe. Um, but yeah, and otherwise it gets thin. So trades are going to be a, a real source, maybe, of making this work. And then the bullpen. I mean, we could look at bullpen names for days. There's hundreds of guys available as relief pitchers out there. So do they go after some young guy like in uh, like in Eniel de los Santos? A young guy like this who's 25 years old? Do they load up on some younger guys like this? Who are the like 38, 39-year-old veterans that they bring in to give them a little experience in spring training and a little experience in the bullpen? You know the Guardians love doing that. So I'm sure we will hear more names once this thing lifts. But those are the positions I think they should go after. De Los Santos was an interesting signing. Um, he's someone who at one time was the number nine prospect in the Philly system. MLB had his fastball graded at a 60 on that 2080 grading scale. Um, he's someone who actually started a long time in the minor leagues. Was a pretty decent strikeout guy, but um, has moved into a relief role as he got closer to the majors and as he broke into the majors. It's been in relief. Um, he's struggled. He's, I mean, his ERA was over six. So I ain't going to lie to you. There's been some real struggles here. Um, he's gotten hit around hard. A 173 whip uh, on 2021 split between the Phillies and the Pirates. Uh, really got a hit around hard. 48 strikeouts to 18 walks, though, on the season split between the two teams. So, yeah, he, he's someone who can strike out a lot of guys and uh, really works off his fastball and then throws a changeup and a slider. So, Kind of three pitches there. And the really fun thing about him is he is killing it right now in the Dominican Winter League uh, for the Tigres. Um, it's fun if you have to look up stats for the Dominican Winter League. I'm sure there's websites that are in English. But the first one I clicked on was the Tigres official website. And it's all in Spanish. So I had to navigate around, go back to my high school Spanish, and navigate around, find the Estadisticas tab, I believe that would be statistics in Spanish, uh, changed the tipo de estadísticas from batidores to lanzadores, so pitchers, and uh, it looks like Eniel de los Santos, in nine innings of relief, has uh, over six games, has only given up three hits, no runs, two walks, and 14 strikeouts, a zero ERA, that is pretty good. For your newest Guardian relief pitcher. By the way, JC Mejia also pitches on this team. He looks like he's thrown 13 innings of relief over 11 games. He's given up seven hits, three runs, only one earned, five walks, and 18 strikeouts. 
So J.C. Mejia is having himself. I told you in relief, J.C. Mejia could be a pretty good player. Well, not going to be for us anymore. Um, so, yeah, so that's interesting. So De Los Santos is really doing good down there in the Dominican Winter League. That's uh, that's going to be fun coming back to Cleveland. Um, the other free agent signing that, I, you know, Sandy Leone, I looked up his numbers. Um, man, he struggled in Cleveland in the 2020 season, only hit 136. It was worse last year in Miami. He had a 51 OPS plus in 2020 with us. He was down to a 38 OPS plus for Miami in 2021. I mean, he hit 183, but barely slugged anything. They can't seriously be looking at Sandy Leone as the second catcher on this team. It, It has to be someone who's here to be an experienced voice in the clubhouse, in spring training, work with young pitchers. I, they cannot be relying. They need some offensive production from that catcher position. I mean, a little bit, a little bit would be nice. Leon did have one amazing season. In 2016 in Boston, he hit 310, had a 122 OPS plus, uh, one monster season in his whole career. Uh, yeah, so Sandy Leon, the veteran, comes back. Those are your only two free agency signings. So, I mean, it's been an insane month of baseball, and the Guardians have been so quiet throughout all of it. Uh, Finishing off Chris's email, he said, which recently protected prospect added to the 40-man roster do you think has the greatest potential to make an impact with the Guardians in 2022? So, looking over the 40-man roster and looking at some of the names that they protected. I actually think there's more than one guy on this list that's going to have a big impact on the Guardians in 2022. I think the easiest spot to look is pitchers. I think Cody Morris and Connor Pilkington are two names. When injuries creep up, and they will, they will. I mean, it might not be, hopefully, hopefully it's not as devastating as it was in the 2021 season. You know, with Bieber going out for so much time. But, you know, things like that. But Plestack and Savali went through. You know, a guy gets a, a you know sore back and is out for two, three weeks. Uh, a little arm fatigue and a guy's out for two, three weeks. You're going to see more than five starting pitchers. And guys like Cody Morris and Connor Pilkington are two to definitely keep your eye on for coming up and starting. Spot starts, double headers, uh, and then if someone's hurt, those guys are going to be ready to go down there in AAA. So uh, they're two guys that they clearly protected for a reason because they are the next up in this Cleveland pitching factory. And if a guy like a police act gets traded this offseason, I, I feel like everybody leans towards police act being traded. I think it's because maybe it's because of the bad press he got when he during the whole covid pandemic thing and he you know he was out on the town and let his teammates down and all that maybe it's just general attitude on the mound like you just don't hear people put savali in those trade rumors it's always plesac is the name that people look at to be traded um i mean is it an age thing how old is savali no they're basically the same age so yeah i don't know uh those are two names. And then, uh, obviously, the infielders. I, I think Gabriel Arias was already on the 40-man roster. But there's a very real chance that Arias breaks spring training as either your starting shortstop or your starting second baseman. 
there's a very good chance of that. So that's a name I see impacting. And we've talked before about the, you know, the log jam in the middle of the infield. There's a lot of guys there that could break through. And uh, in the outfield, definitely some of these guys added to the 40-man roster could have an impact. Steven Kwan could be a starting outfielder. George Valera, I mean, your starting outfield could be, at one point in the season, Kwan in left field, Miles Straw in center, and Valera in right. Like, it very well could be. There's no guarantee Mercado and Zimmer are going to last and where Josh Naylor is going to play, whether it's first base or right field. Uh, When he gets, you know, we don't know what his timetable is even to return. So, um, Quan and Valera are two names that will definitely have a chance to make an impact on this team. So, that's not an easy question, Chris, because there are a lot of guys out there that could have an impact uh, that have been recently added to the 40-man roster. And then, finally, he says, who do you think has a good chance to sign a long-term extension with the team this offseason? I'm assuming some of the expanded payroll allocated is intended to be spent internally. I agree, Chris. I think when they said you're going to see payroll go up, I think they meant spending it on players they already had. And obviously, the two players we want to get long-term contracts are Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber. The likelihood of that happening, I actually think the likelihood of some other guys getting contracts are maybe a little more likely. Um, a guy like Fermil Reyes getting a long-term contract, you know? I think maybe something like that, Miles Straw in the outfield. I think maybe on the pitching side of things, a guy like Cal Quantrill or uh, Tristan McKenzie maybe getting a long-term contract. Someone who it's, frankly, a little easier to hammer out a long-term contract, just like they did with Jose Ramirez a few years ago, when a guy doesn't really know his free agency value, when a guy really hasn't hit on the national level yet, it might be easier to work out a long-term contract. Emmanuel Classe, maybe you know, secure a couple of years with him and work out a long-term deal with him. I think those are the names that might end up getting not soup. Now we're not talking the 12-year contract that Wander Franco just signed, but five, six years of solid team control where they know what the salary is going to be and they don't have to deal with arbitration. Yeah, those make a lot of sense to hammer out contracts right now. So those are some things I could see them doing, Chris. So thank you for the email. Let's check in on Phil's email here. Phil has a tough one here. He's asking about Daniel Johnson. He says Daniel Johnson didn't get a fair shake. And I appreciate the passion, Phil, from Louisville, Uh, He wrote a lot here about uh, Daniel Johnson. I'm going to kind of work my way through it. Um, Daniel Johnson's total MLB experience consists of 89 at-bats over just two years, yet they let stiffs like Zimmer, Mercado, don't include Yu Chang as a stiff. Come on now. Come on, Phil. Uh, Hang on year after year. Uh, Bowers, Jake Bowers, he's referencing, got a huge chance before he got dumped. Um, So he talks about the adjustment from moving from AAA to MLB, and they didn't give Johnson time to adjust. He says, this isn't rocket science. The Guardians should determine how many at-bats it takes for an average rookie to blossom. And, it, and you know, it was at 300 at-bats over a season, 600 at-bats over two. Um, we've seen it before with the team being insufficiently patient with Jesus Aguilar, Giovanni Urshela, Yandy Diaz, all whom were objectively better hitters than most players on the team the last couple of years. He isn't wrong about that. Those guys blossomed other places. 
I fear the same pattern will repeat with Daniel Johnson. Now, the, the thing about Daniel Johnson is they outrighted him. So every team in Major League Baseball had a chance to claim him, and nobody did. Nobody in Major League Baseball thought Daniel Johnson was worth a roster spot. So he ends up back on our uh, AAA roster. So Daniel Johnson is still with us. He still has a chance to go at it again in spring training and take another crack at it at spring training. Um, but he's not wrong about some of this stuff. Now, Daniel Johnson has gone, like he said, a total of 89 at-bats. It hasn't gone well. Uh, what's his strikeout ratio at here? He's up at 38% strikeout rate in 2020, a 33.3% strikeout rate in 2021. So the strikeouts are high. He did find a little bit of pop towards the end of the season. He did have four line drive home runs. So he did have a little bit of pop. How was he doing in the minors before this? Uh, his AAA season, here's the thing, Phil. In AAA, he was only hitting 222. 222. A 759 OPS. So an okay OPS, but that's a really low batting average for AAA. For a guy, if he's ready for the major league, should probably be crushing AAA pitching. And he just wasn't. Um, so yeah, so Daniel Johnson's bat just hasn't really, now in 2019, he was hitting 290 with an 868 OPS. Now those are some good numbers, really filling up the stat sheet there with extra base hits, a ton of extra base hits in 2019. I think they were hoping to see that again in 2021 and it wasn't there. He really struggled. So maybe being on the cusp of the major leagues has affected, you know, the, his game a little bit mentally. But he just wasn't there in 2021 for him, no matter what level he was playing at. Now, Giovanni Urshela, they did give more at-bats to. And he never really hit. I mean, he had a total of over 400 at-bats over two seasons in Cleveland, 2015 and 2017. And he just never hit. 225 and then 224. He doesn't figure it out. He goes to Toronto for a year, still doesn't hit. Doesn't figure it out till he finally reaches New York in 2019 and goes off for 314 with an 889 OPS. Finally, 21 home runs in that 2019 season. Um, so yeah, so he finally figured it out once he got to New York. Jesus Aguilar, that one hurts. Three seasons in Cleveland, and they never gave him a real chance. Jesus Aguilar had 39, 49, 58 at-bats throughout three seasons in Cleveland. And then he goes to Milwaukee, his first season in Milwaukee. He gets 279 at-bats. He hits 16 home runs. He's got an 837 OPS. The next season, he goes off for 35 home runs in 2018. He's an all-star. He's got an 890 OPS, a 135 OPS plus, his best season in his career. Um, yeah, and he turns into a monster power hitter once he leaves Cleveland, uh, he struggled in 2019, but then comes back in 2020 and 2021, and he has an above 100 OPS plus in both of those seasons. So he's really turned himself into a great hitter since he left Cleveland. Jesus Aguilar is the one that really hurts, and it's why Bobby Bradley is going to get more of a chance. Um, they don't want it to turn into another Jesus Aguilar situation. And then Yandy Diaz was a little bit of a different situation. He was hitting in Cleveland. His last year in Cleveland, he hit 312. Uh, not a lot of power. One home run in his entire Cleveland career, over 250-ish at-bats, 260-ish at-bats. Only one home run, but goes to Tampa Bay and keeps hitting, frankly. 
just keeps hitting. Has had an OPS plus over 100 since his rookie year. He was at 80, and then his second year with Cleveland, it's 116. And then it continued over 100, above league average, down in Tampa Bay. It was a different situation because they were trying to move Encarnacion. They were trying to get back Santana. For some reason, Tampa Bay had to be roped into this thing to move money around. And Jake Bowers and Yandy Diaz kind of got caught in the wake of that trade. Honestly, I would love to ask Krista Antonetti, what was the goal of that trade? Like, what was the ultimate goal? Was it just to move Encarnacion and get that money off the books? Was it to get Carlos Santana back? Were they that determined to get Carlos Santana back? It couldn't have been to get Jake Bowers. That couldn't have been the goal. That was a side effect. And they had to give up Yandy Diaz to make it all work. So whatever that trade was, we could probably consider it, even though Carlos Santana had a great season the year he was back in Cleveland, it probably was a bust. Losing Yandy Diaz, it, it probably was a bust, that trade, when we look back on it years from now. So yeah, so Daniel Johnson, it's the strikeouts, man. The strikeouts kill me. Watching him strike out at the major league level, he just looks lost. Now the question is, now that he's with us in the minor leagues, and now that we have a new hitting coach that really, really knows how to connect with players, Valeka, he can work with minor league players right now. I haven't heard anything about him working with Daniel Johnson yet, right? We heard Mercado. There was, I think, Owen Miller, too, he was working with. Will he get a chance to work with Daniel Johnson? And can he unlock something in Daniel Johnson? That Daniel Johnson from 2019 that was just loading up 34 doubles, 7 triples, and 19 home runs at the AAA and AA level, split between AA and AAA. That is a lot of extra base hits. Did strike out a ton, 118 strikeouts, but that's a 290 batting average. That's a 507 slugging. Man, if that Daniel Johnson ever made it up to the major leagues, if Valeka can unlock that, that solves a lot of problems for this Guardians team. So uh, I think we answered. I think we answered Phil's first question. His second question, the Guardians logo. He says, to me, the Guardians winged baseball logo looks like a fourth grader drew it with crayons and a ruler. Along with the roller derby naming debacle, does this indicate a lack of preparation for the change in the team's name? Perhaps I'm just bitter because they weren't renamed my favorite, the Spiders. Thank you, Phil from Louisville. Uh, yeah, I, I think the Spiders would have been a lot of fun. I think we could have had a lot of fun with that nickname. I think we could have a lot of fun with Guardians if it was just marketed and branded right. I've talked about this in past episodes. Guardians should portray strength, right? It should be something we really get behind. But they just haven't marketed it right. And I think you're right, Phil. I think there was a lack of preparation. They seem to be really in on the winged baseball logo. It's all over the new merch. I'm going to be honest, the more I see it on merch, the more I see it on websites, I think I'm just starting to get used to it. I don't think I'm starting to like it. I think I'm just starting getting used to seeing it. Um, yeah, it does feel like a lack. It does feel like they rushed it. And, you know, maybe it was us. Maybe it was the fans' pressure forcing their hand to rush things. Maybe they would have taken like two or three more years to uh, figure it all out. I Personally, I think they had plenty of time. I mean, I'm not, I've never branded a team before. I've branded a podcast. I know how hard that was. Coming up with a new logo for this show was, I, my God, the, the hours of thought and work that I put into that. 
Um, so I can only imagine rebranding an entire baseball team, what that takes. But that's what they have a whole front office full of creative types and marketing types and graphic designers and people for. Like, they, they have people in place to think about these things. I mean, there's much more to a baseball organization than just the baseball. Uh, but yeah, it does feel like... It feels like they could have thought more about this logo. I, I Who knows? I would love to see. Wouldn't you love to see what the market research was like on that logo? They had to have brought in test audiences. They had to have sent out surveys. Like, which one of these logos better represents a professional baseball team? They had to have done things like that. And gotten a little bit of feedback before they launched that thing. And yeah, and the, the entire city of Cleveland went, nope. Nope. Guardians Twitter, Indians Twitter back then. Guardians Twitter went, nope, no on the wing baseball. And I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we'll never know what the merch numbers. That's that's what we'll tell them. Honestly, if you go into the team shop and everything that says Guardians is off the rack and everything that has a wing baseball is left on the rack, that's what will tell them this logo is not working. If the Diamond C hats are all gone, and all the wing baseball hats are still there. That's what will tell them this logo's not working. We we need to revamp this thing. So we'll see. They'll probably stick with. I mean, how many times have the Cavs changed the C that they use? How many times has the Cleveland baseball franchise changed the C? Remember, there was the script I. They were like, nope, script I is not working. They went back to the block C. So chances are this thing can all change in a few years. So, uh, but I agree. It, does demonstrate a lack of preparation. Uh, it has been a debacle. There's no other way to describe it, Phil. So thank you, Phil. Thank you, Chris, for those emails. If you want to email the show, it's easy. Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts, and we'll talk about it. And frankly, we've got a lot of time to talk right now. There's not going to be much news and much action until they figure out this collective bargaining agreement. So what to do in the meantime? Hey, Check out the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are a really fun team. I know I do a Guardians podcast, a baseball podcast, but I love all the Cleveland sports and Ohio State sports equally. Uh, And I got to be honest with you, I am digging the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. I think uh, Allen and Mobley and Garland could be a core that could take Cleveland back to the playoffs and really, really be, uh, I mean, we're talking like we're talking like the old cores that the Spurs used to put together. A homegrown core that really dominates on the court. And uh, if you're like, Davey, what, who are those names? What the heck are you talking about? <laughs> then maybe I'll just wrap up the basketball talk right there. But if you want something, if you're a Cleveland fan and you want something to sink your teeth into until baseball comes back, you can, it's fun. The Cleveland Cavaliers are pretty fun right now. So that's all I'll say about that. Uh, I don't know. Our international listeners, our fans in Germany and the UK, I, do you guys, guys and girls, do you morning people follow uh, other American sports? It'd be interesting. I'd be interesting to hear. Uh, you know, if you, if Cleveland Cavaliers are anywhere even on your radar. Um, so yeah, so that is all my thoughts on the Guardians uh, for this morning. My God, I mean, they've talked about how much fun this MLB free agency period has been with this deadline, with the CBA deadline looming. 
It's interesting because it's the inverse of what happens in the NBA. In the NBA, there is this um, deadline before you can start talking. And what it does is it builds up all this anticipation. And when that day hits in July, when they can finally offer contracts to free agents, it's insanity. News is dropping every minute. And we almost had the inverse of that where there was this deadline to get deals done and figure out what your 2022 season is going to be like for these players and these agents and these general managers before this deadline locked in, before this lockout happened, which they all knew was coming. They are so far apart on this CBA. So it created this artificial deadline to get deals done, and it created a lot of excitement. Now, I don't know what this could look like in future seasons, but they've, the sports writers out there, the baseball writers have basically been talking. If you implement this as like a new thing going forward, it creates a really exciting time period uh, for baseball news. And they, they weren't wrong about that. I mean, it was an incredibly fun few days on Twitter and Bleacher Report and all whatever, The Athletic, wherever you go for your baseball news. It is fun. And uh, I'm glad you took the time to sit down and talk with me today uh, and, and talk about it because it was a lot of fun to hear. And I haven't been able to really sink my teeth in and talk about some of these contracts. Uh, some of these contracts are really, really fascinating. And um, some of the teams that are making reaches um, are really fascinating. Some moves make absolute sense. I mean, Javi Baez to the Tigers makes absolute sense. They have the money to spend on a star shortstop, and it really sets their lineup a lot better to have a star shortstop in place. Um, You know, the Yankees being quiet. The Rangers going crazy. Does it make a lot of sense? I didn't feel like the Rangers were there with, you know, the kind of rebuilds they've been doing. Maybe they think they are. Maybe these superstars push them over the top. I mean, it's one way to flip your script. You're right. The Guardians do it by loading up on young talent. Not every team operates that way. The Texas Rangers are a team that spends money. The Yankees, the Angels, these are teams that spend money. That's how they operate. And uh, the Mets have definitely entered that category too. So uh, we'll see how it works out. I mean, how many times have you seen a team win the offseason only to just flame out horribly during the regular season? The Mets have so much, so many big contracts, so much money on their payroll. Same with the Texas Rangers now. It's going to be hilarious if these teams just absolutely flame out during the regular season. I feel like as a Cleveland fan, we're all kind of rooting for the Mets to flame out just because they have Lindor. And they locked him up to the long-term contract that most Cleveland fans probably would have offered him. And I think a lot of us are rooting for it not to work. Probably out of spite, but most of us, I think, are rooting against the New York Mets. All right, that is all my thoughts. It's been incredibly fun. And uh, will the Guardians, I don't know, Phil and Chris, will the Guardians finally do something once uh, this lockout ends? I hope so. I hope there are more moves. There are some big holes still to fill on this team. And there are players out there that could work with this roster. There are players out there worth going after. So we will see. Antonetti usually has a plan. Antonetti and Chernoff usually have a plan. I don't think it was an accident that they were this quiet. 
there, I'm sure there is something cooking up there in the offices, in the Guardians Towers, in their offices. So we'll see what they come up with. All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Hey, we are coming up to the holiday season, and I am sure you're probably going out and getting a Guardians t-shirt or a hat for somebody you know for the holidays. And if you don't want to get them a Guardians thing, maybe, hey, check out clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com and get them a t-shirt from your favorite baseball podcast. We've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, coffee mugs. Of course, it's Cleveland Baseball Mornings. You gotta have an official coffee mug. We got stuff for men, women, kids. Show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high quality shirts and gear. The link is in the show notes. It's clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. All right, that is all my thoughts uh, on this morning. Many more thoughts to come. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. Remember, if you've got thoughts, email them in at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, and let's keep the conversation going. We'll talk about anything free agency, anything going on with the Guardians, with the rebrand, with the current roster. If you want to talk about players on the current roster, let's talk about it. Um, you can also leave a voicemail by going to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, and we can do it that way. We'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.